welcome to another episode of MHTV. What we're going to be talking about, I think, is something that's affected a lot of people in terms of long COVID and mental health. So we really want to hear um, your thoughts and questions as well. We've got two fantastic um, practitioners and researchers with us um, here today. Um, it's really important that it's a subject that people have a real handle on in terms of their own practice and in terms of well-being for, for, for each other, really. So um, without further ado, let me tell you um, how you can join in. Actually, probably better if Dave does that. Hi, yeah. Uh, hi, everyone. It's great to be here tonight with Nikki. Uh, yes, so if you want to join in, as always, you've got a couple of options. Uh, the first one is on the right side of Facebook live feed. Uh, you'll notice that there's a place to put in your comments and your questions. Uh, and ho ho hopefully we'll bring some of those in tonight. Uh, the other option you've got is on, face uh, on Twitter. And all you need to do is use the hashtag MHTV. Uh, but without further ado, straight back to Nikki to start what's going to be, I'm sure, a great conversation tonight. Absolutely. So let's come to our fantastic guest. So, Mohammed, would you like to introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, th thank you, Nikki. Uh, my name is Mohammed Vakas, and I'm assistant professor in economics at uh, University of Bradford. And uh, I've been uh, doing research on uh, mental health and immigration. And then recently, mm -hmm. after this pandemic, um, uh, I was uh, funded with a grant by EHRC, uh, UKRIHRC, mm -hmm. and I've been doing research on impact of COVID on uh, mental health. I've been also doing research uh, uh, along with my colleague, uh, Saika, uh, who is also present here today, and we, uh, we are doing uh, some fantastic work on COVID and long COVID. Mm -hmm. So uh, over to you, Saika. Hi, Nikki. Thanks, Vakas. Um, so my name is Saika Iqbal. I'm an assistant professor in psychology. Um, I've, like Baka said, I've been working on um, mental health generally. So my background is looking at mental health, health inequalities. And we've just recently been looking at long COVID and the impacts it has on mental health, especially um, the in terms of anxiety, depression, PTSD, some of the things that have kind of come up. Um, so yes, I'm really excited to talk to you yeah. today about it. I think as well, it'd be a good opportunity for us to sort of look at, you know, what long what long COVID symptoms might be at this point, um, how it impacts mental health and how we support people, but also look at how you undertook your research, because I think it's really useful for people to understand how, to, how research happens and then how it becomes something we can use in practice as well. So um, for anybody who's not clear at this stage, can we just talk about what we're talking about when we're talking about long COVID? Yeah, I can I can start with that. Um, so long COVID is basically when um, it's, I mean, first thing to put out there is it's it's quite a mysterious illness in the sense that we we're still figuring out what long COVID is. But what we do know is that long COVID is usually when you have symptoms that are rec recognized symptoms that last like twelve weeks or over after first getting infection. Um, so so that what what that basically means is that. You might have um, COVID that could be quite mild or severe at the beginning, um, but perhaps you recovered from that quite quickly and had no symptoms. But around about 12, you know, at, at a later point, you start having symptoms. Um, so that is what long COVID is in the sense that it's co a continuation of feeling symptoms well after you've had the initial infection of the virus. Um, and usually they're not explainable by an alternative diagnosis. So there's nothing else that can explain what, what, what's going on. Mm -hmm. And that's why it's, it's in a sense, it's quite mysterious. In this, it, mm -hmm. We're still finding out um, what actually long COVID is. Mm -hmm. And you, you mentioned um, symptoms as well. Yes. So 
I mean, we I can list off the most common symptoms, mm. but the there's actually some research that shows there's now like 200 different types of symptoms that could exist for for long COVID, um, and these are now being grouped and categorized into kind of uh, clusters of of symptoms that are, are recognized. But the the most common symptoms is um, extreme tiredness, fatigue, which we've heard a lot about. Yeah. Um, this this term that came out, brain fog, um, which is described as perhaps problems concentrating or when you have a loss of memory and mm-hmm. you can forget what you're doing. So you could be in a supermarket and not real, like you, you know, don't realize what you were supposed to be doing there. Um, a lot of um, heart palpitations, so having, and that can be very different and across different spectrums as well. Um, and organ impairment. So these are the kind of common ones. And, mm. um, and obviously, and one important to mention is sleep, sleep disturbance, mm. um, headaches that occur. And a lot of people have described it as like a feeling on their chest, like something sitting there. Um, but like I said, these are the most commonly reported when with fatigue uh, and um, disturbed sleep as being the top kind of reported mm. symptoms. Mm. Um, there's a there's a wide spectrum of, of different types of symptoms. Mm. And I think as well, we can imagine the difficulty that comes because some of these symptoms are quite non-specific, and yeah. they're the sort of thing that can occur alongside all kinds of other things as well. Everything from menopause to actually a, a cold. So you can see it's getting muddled up. So how do you distinguish? See, I think from from looking at kind of some of the research done, mm. um, it's a it's because it, I said it's it's a, it's not it's a it's a mystery in terms of, yeah. and, and I think a lot of the work that's and a lot of long COVID has been led by people that have experienced it. Yeah. We've been able to been kind of directing our mm. understanding of what long COVID is because um, prior to, I mean, we've had pandemics before, we've had, you know, we've had viruses yeah. before, um, but we've not known so much about the, um, this idea of, of it affecting us on a longer term. Mm. Um, so I would say how you could, how you can describe it is, is being able to connect the dots uh, mm. at some point to see that this doesn't make sense. So like you said, it could, thinking maybe it's menopause maybe yeah. it's it's another kind of illness but when they're not kind of adding up mm. to then realizing that this probably is a uh, long COVID and that's one of the kind of I think defining things about long COVID is that it doesn't add up so yeah. where you're feeling um the common symptoms um and then trying to connect the dots is where you can kind of figure out and we're doing better now in mm. terms of understanding a, a little bit more what long COVID is but mm. I think about two years ago that, that people were very, very confused about what was actually going on with them. Mm-hmm. And, and and it wasn't, and the difficult part was it wasn't recognized as um, a, a syndrome or mm-hmm. uh, an actual illness. So going to a doctor didn't really, you know, didn't, mm-hmm. didn't really make much sense. They couldn't make much sense of it as well. Mm. You've got you've so many things making me think of at the moment. <laughs> I guess some of the stuff that comes to mind is as well, that it's an illness or an experience as well that relies very much on the person who's having it being informed so knowing what's wrong knowing what symptoms are knowing how to seek help but also being heard by professionals and sometimes I think professional services can be a little less proactive when you've got something that's a bit uncertain so if you've got like something like measles I can see some spots I can see this is clear I know what I'm doing I've got a clear treatment pathway I can refer you seem to see a lot swifter identification and action on on an issue like that rather than one maybe that relies a lot on the person who's experiencing being able to articulate it and being able to be seen by services we don't always see women people of color in the way that we ought to particularly when they're reporting symptoms particularly symptoms that maybe are a bit fuzzy in terms of what we're supposed to do about them 
Yeah, I think there's, I mean, I think there's two points in there. Mm. I think the speed of which it happened yeah. and and the, the kind of speed at which people were, you know, had, you know, contact with the virus and then they were experiencing the symptoms. Mm. I don't think kind of medical professionals were prepared um, and it was, it was very quick to kind of dis, not dismiss, but not recognise that. There wasn't science, the research to back for our understanding. Mm. And I kind of think that the... the the, the long COVID, the word in itself is actually was was coined by by people who experienced long COVID. So that in itself tells us how it's been led by the experience. Mm-hmm. And I think it's only the the kind of the good thing that came out was the amount of um, people speaking up about what they were going through and talking about their experiences. That mm-hmm. was probably the the biggest kind of factor in in mm-hmm. understanding what long COVID is because people were like, well, actually, I'm not alone. Like this makes mm-hmm. sense. Um, on, on their own it didn't make much sense but when you kind of hear more and more stories mm. about people who are experiencing something similar mm. um, that's when I think there was more of an acknowledgement and mm. like I said at the speed at which things happen we in, in understandably as well in some ways that there wasn't we weren't prepared to kind of understand what this what this was mm. and as well I suppose it was something that was happening to people in services as well so you don't have that barrier sometimes you do don't you sometimes you have that if you do something, then something will happen to you. But it was just, if you are a human being, this is something that could happen to you. And it was a very different type of experience, I think, for professionals to have. Yeah, definitely. I think I think that's, I mean, things things are kind of changing now in terms of professionals are understanding. Yeah. Um, it, but I think that that's what defines long COVID. It's very much based on that experience and it's a really individual experience as well. So that's another thing to mention about long COVID is no two people will actually have the same symptomology mm-hmm. in terms of someone might experience things differently mm-hmm. and then we can have quite moderate to quite severe um, symptoms. Mm-hmm. So you might have some people that have similar symptoms that you might find, but not everyone's going to have the same ones. So even if you're a health professional, yeah. you might get people telling you different things. And like you said, you might find an alternative diagnosis for that rather than it being long COVID. Or both. Or the both. ultimate yeah. nightmare. No, yeah. <laughs> there's no tick box for this. So yeah, it's yeah. complicated. I suppose it's a good time maybe to come over to you, Mohammed, to say, how did you conduct your research? What were you looking for? Yeah, uh, it's interesting. We started uh, from uh, this COVID thing. And when you mentioned it, what's the difference between COVID and long COVID? Mm. Uh, the uh, funny thing is, I can say that the difference between COVID and long COVID is long. So uh, <laughs> as the word states itself, it's the word long. So when uh, Saika and I, we were uh, conducting this research and uh, we investigated what's the average mental health of an individual who uh, did not experience any COVID uh, COVID symptoms at all. So we found out that it was around 12 using the Understanding Society data set, it was around 12. So uh, this scale ranges from zero to 36, zero, zero being the best health, best mental health and 36 worst mental health. Yeah. So the average was around 12. So when we investigated, what's the average mental health once a person experiences a COVID? Mm-hmm. And, we uh, we see that the mental health uh, deteriorates a lot, so mm. it goes around uh, 15, 16. And mm. uh, um, but uh, when we compare it with the long COVID, we see that uh, it further deteriorates even uh, um, as compared to the people who experience uh, only COVID symptoms. But the interesting thing here is that people who experience COVID symptoms and then they have recovered from COVID uh, COVID. Mm they are actually able to regain their average mental health. But if we investigate for the long COVID, 
they they were not able to regain their mental health uh, even after they were not experiencing any COVID uh, symptoms, mm -hmm. but still they uh, uh, their mental health was not uh, back to the point from where they started. So this. Uh, this again, this is one distinguishing factor that people uh, experiencing COVID and people experiencing long COVID, long COVID people, they will not be able to regain their mental health. At least uh, this is what the data tells us that we were mm. uh, investigating. Mm. I guess there might be people as well who, who, don't, who are not as familiar with research as you two are. So, um, so could you explain to for, for people listening what, an, what a data set is, so how you've done the research? Yeah, so, so uh, this data set is uh, 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 very uh, good and detailed data set, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, it is collected by uh, Understanding Society. Previously, it was uh, uh, it was named as British Household Panel Survey, mm -hmm. and then the responsibility was given to Understanding Society. It is also known as UK Household Longitudinal Study. Mm -hmm. So, uh, in the main survey, we have like around forty thousand uh, households, and they are interviewed, and we have information about like all the social demographic factors, like what's their ethnicity, what's their qualification, what's their income, gender, age, uh, all these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And uh, then we have this information, uh, this understanding society, they also collected the data uh, during this uh, COVID period, like from um, when the lockdown was on 23rd of March, 2020. And they started collecting data during that uh, uh, COVID period. And they have around uh, seven or eight uh, waves, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. They collected data on monthly or bi-monthly basis. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we used that data set. In mm -hmm. that data set, they asked this question whether mm -hmm. uh, an individual has experienced any uh, COVID symptoms. Mm -hmm. So, and that is recorded in the data set. Mm -hmm. And after, obviously, they, they cannot ask for the long COVID symptoms at the beginning because uh, you, uh, for getting the long COVID symptoms, first you need to have some uh, COVID. Yeah. So uh, at later stage, like in, uh, I think third or fourth wave, they started to collect data about long COVID as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, when we compare it and how do we actually measure this uh, mm -hmm. uh, mental health? We have this question in the, uh, um, uh, in the survey that captures basically 12 components that uh, Saika was mentioning. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, one, uh, one is like sleep. Mm. Uh, like she mentioned, that sleep is one of the main symptoms that uh, uh, people experiencing long COVID they suffer from. So uh, it has 12 components, like uh, ranging from concentration on work, mm. self-worthiness, uh, mm. uh, sleep, uh, or happiness, general mm. happiness, and things like that. Mm. And then uh, it is uh, established research on this uh, variable of general uh, questionnaire uh, of uh, uh, mental health. And uh, it ranges from zero to 36, zero being the uh, best mental health mm -hmm. and 36 being the uh, uh, worst mental health. Mm -hmm. And then we use this uh, mental health variable to see what are the differences between, uh, between the average mental health of individuals experiencing COVID symptoms. And uh, if we compare it with uh, individuals uh, who have long COVID mm -hmm. and who did not experience uh, COVID symptoms at all. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, we also found that there is uh, heterogeneity uh, of this impact on the mental health of long COVID. Like for example, uh, heterogeneity based on gender. So mm. females, uh, uh, and there's a difference between male and female. There's mm. a difference based on the uh, ethnicity uh, mm. uh, you belong to. 
there is a difference uh, uh, like if i talk about my previous research about uh, mm -hmm. covid we found that uh, uh, there is a different a differential impact of lockdown that uh, that was induced because of this covid mm -hmm. there is a differential impact of lockdown Definitely. or covid on the uh, mental health of uh, people who are fe feeling loneliness mm -hmm. or uh, because of the crowdedness in the house so it could have differential impact Mm. So let's stop for a minute and go back to this. Again, so much to talk about. Yeah. <laughs> and for people who don't know normally, and, and absolutely jump on me if I'm getting this wrong, often when people are doing research, they'll decide that they want to research a, a group of people or an experience, they'll go, they'll get a permission to do that, and they'll conduct a study, which with the best one world tends out to be quite small scale. And when we're talking about data sets, we're talking, as you say, about 40,000 sort of, um, households, we're talking about huge amounts of data being asked about everything. And then researchers go and have a look in the data and see what questions they want to ask from the data that's already gathered. And then you start to see patterns and trends because the sheer number of people involved is so big that you can actually make these kind of inferences. That's what that's so that's the different type of research that you guys have done. Um, and I think you make some really interesting points there about this. So you measured before and after. So people had COVID. Once it had gone, they went back to the state that they were before. So happier people went back to happier. People who were yeah. less happy went back to less happy, but that was their average. Yeah. And then, but people who had long COVID just failed to thrive. They didn't bounce back in the same way. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. exactly correct. Yeah. yeah. And I, then, go on. Sorry. So I was going to say that the, the measure that um, Mohammed's talking about is called the GHQ12, which mm -hmm. is um, it's a general health questionnaire. Mm -hmm. It's like 12 items. And that is a verified like symptom checklist for mental health um, and usually measures like low level to psych even up to psychotic mental health. So that's using like GPs when they screen you. So people yeah. so we've got so like um we've got that data in the data set where people have all these houses have completed um mm -hmm. a GHQ twelve. Mm -hmm. So to to like you were saying, to to do a study where you would try and get people who've got long COVID and then do mental health before and after because it's the data's already been collected um mm -hmm. as a continuous like different ways mm. it's really helpful to be able to see if those variables kind of connect with each other absolutely and as well such an extraordinary thing because nobody would have been able to sort out research at that time very easily so the fact that this data has been kept for this kind of unprecedented experience because it wasn't so much that everyone had poor mental health in in lockdown it was just that everybody had so much mental health you <laughs> know good bad happy sad relaxed everyone's lives were changing it was really confusing and 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 difficult time and I don't know if anyone else has the same feeling I did when you look back on it like what was going on three years ago today or two years ago today you're like what you know when people were going to the shop with a plastic bag on the head it's <laughs> <No. laughs> just such a bizarre experience that I don't think any of us could have foreseen it so how can you tell the difference between you know the just general trauma that experienced in society and stuff that you definitely can peg to long covid um, well, long COVID, um, long COVID has been kind of now been described as as being there's a lot of research come out that's saying that it links to PTSD symptoms mm. and post-traumatic stress disorder, trauma as well. Mm. Um, and I think what I would say is that at that time, obviously, like you said, like death was quite salient on the minds of people yeah. um, looking back at that period. So people's mental health was was quite lower. But in terms of um, how you would in, in terms of the trauma aspect, yeah. I think the biggest thing that um, it, what what I think that kind of happens with long COVID is if you look at the, the, the description of the symptoms and people's kind of 
the, the, the research, not even just the research, if you just go on even social media, because that's been a massive vehicle in understanding long COVID. Mm. Um, has its, it's a double-edged sword, has its positives and negatives, but the, the, the amount of, um, there's a lot of research been done looking at the symptoms of, of long COVID mm. just in terms of people's tweets. And what yeah. you can see is that, um, there's there it's almost like a trauma it's, it's it's very akin to a trauma in the sense that people's lives just change all of a sudden in the sense that um what how how it's been described as they suddenly feel this change inability to inability to do daily activity so for example a lot of what we do um you know we might be exercising um going to work uh, having hobbies, doing all these things. And if all of a sudden you're unable to even kind of walk to the kitchen or go, you know, I mean, things were different in lockdown because we, we were kind of accommodated with, with online working, mm-hmm. um, but actually still being able to do basic things like going for a walk, showering, you know, just do the kind of basic functions. If you've lost the, the inability to do that, yeah. that in itself is the first level of trauma yeah. because you're not able to do things, the physical, the physical symptoms. And then you know the the fear of death not mm-hmm. thinking that i don't know what this is i might not wake up tomorrow i don't, mm-hmm. I don't know how like your heart palpitations are mm-hmm. you know un, not recognizable for you um so that it, and it comes in waves as well so there's that trauma and then there's the added trauma that no one understands what what's going on there's no acknowledgement a recognition yeah. of of what this is mm-hmm. um so all of that is 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 in, in essence that I think the mental health uh, trauma is that it's a, you don't it, it links to our identity as well like who yeah. we are and if we're not able to do the things that we know we could do or mm. we were doing and all of a sudden um, losing that that mm. that has an impact that's probably why that data did show that people's mental health didn't recover regain because then there's the flashbacks as well so mm. it, it, I think for some people I mean people that experience mental health uh, long COVID sorry when they have waves of it it doesn't end in the sense that you might be feeling okay uh, you might have it have it quite bad this week but then next week it's oh you know you you kind of you're okay again and then when it comes back the 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 symptoms you're going to have that flashback of Mm. of 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 kind of Mm. not being able to walk not being able to sleep so it's Mm. it's it's ongoing trauma it's like layers Mm. of trauma and that's probably why people's mental health is less likely to revert Mm. back to um what it was like for people who just had the covid symptoms Mm. um and recovered Mm. I think you're right I think uncertainty does add that extra kind of burden to people doesn't it because you never know when it's going to happen if you've got a pattern to something or something you can do to influence it you have some measure of control and I think you're absolutely right to identify that as, a, as another thing so can we dig into you, you absolutely mentioned some interesting points about the differences between how men and women were affected were there other sure. variables oh, yeah yeah, so for uh, on gender basis, we uh, found this that uh, males were affected uh, differently as compared to females. Mm. Uh, so if you can remind me, what did we find? <laughs> what did the males? <laughs> what um, is the males who were affected more? Or what well, we found that we found that there was there was more self-reported uh, COVID and, and long COVID symptoms, and it was women generally tended to have a higher like more reports of long covid mm. and were affected had had a, had a more of a decline in mental health compared to to men so mm. that was the main finding and then we, we i think i think for the purpose of the, the what we were doing at the moment we weren't 
breaking it down, looking at it so much in terms of gender, mm. but then finding that actually adolescents and young people were actually reporting long COVID as well. So that's something to look yeah. into mm. and older adults too. But generally other research as well, it, our, our, what we've kind of started seeing the patterns in, in the data fits with what other research is saying that, that yeah. actually it's, it's, it's women that t- are tending to be slightly more uh, reporting mm. COVID and especially the mental health impact. Mm. And it's always a difficult pause. Oh, I interrupted what you were saying. Uh, uh, sorry, uh, just a point came into my mind, and oh. uh, I was discussing earlier with Saika about mm-hmm. that thing. And still, I'm uh, I'm being very cautious uh, about saying mm-hmm. this because this is not conclusive. We we are still doing research on it, and uh, uh, we will rigorously test it whether uh, uh, this interesting finding is it actually there or we are just uh, finding it for uh, doing something wrong. So uh, it is like. Uh, 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 people with long-term illness, mm-hmm. like intuitively, you you would expect that uh, they would be uh, uh, they uh, they would uh, have experienced uh, really badly uh, uh, this COVID episode, or their mental health would have deteriorated a lot. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, initial uh, things suggest that maybe their mental he- health may have improved because of the uh, lockdown, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, this made me think. And again, I'm uh, I'm repeating this that this is not conclusive, and we are still investigating uh, mm. into this. That maybe this could have led to because of the because of lockdown, mm. people were uh, uh, living in the house. Maybe people who were experiencing long-term illnesses now they they have some company to talk to, mm. and maybe this improved their mental health. Mm. But uh, 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 because uh, we have evidence that people who experience loneliness, their mental health deteriorated a lot. Mm. So we can uh, uh, we can see a proxy here, mm. like maybe this uh, lockdown, imposition of lockdown, it could have reduced the loneliness of people that could have improved the mental health of people with uh, uh, long-term illness. Mm. So. Uh, again, there is a difference uh, of effect of uh, COVID and long COVID on the mm-hmm. mental health of people experiencing uh, long-term illness and people who are not experiencing long-term illness. Mm. I think you're really, really, mold- between both of you, really well modeling the kind of exciting parts of, yeah. of research as well, because you're research- researching something that's just happening um, and is yeah. really important for us to understand. So it's got real world kind of implications. But also it's that kind of balance, isn't it, between curiosity, because when you've got data, you still have to interpret it. Yeah. You know, so you can have all the numbers in the world, you can have all the information in the world. But you're, you're right. It's, about, it's part of that kind of like creative process, isn't it, of asking the right questions and then yeah. trying to find out if the, the idea that you have is actually backed up by the data. So it's a really interesting kind of iterative process that keeps going. Yeah, and, and I think what you just said about asking the right questions like that, I mean, the questions that people are asking a year ago two years ago very different to the questions that we're asking now mm. so it's again finding out what questions need to be asked like you know mm. and, and like i said looking at the data to see what actually mm. uh, factors might have be having an impact and not um not the symptoms or not having long mm. covid is it is it um because a lot of um what what um the other research suggests is that obviously any chronic illness can have an impact on mental health and this is yeah. what long covid is like kind of akin to in terms of like, seen as a chronic illness mm. in in the experiences that people are having. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, I, I know you didn't specifically look at, see things like about gender difference and sort of age difference, things like that, but some of it sort of falls out in the data. I wonder if, how do you tell if you've got people just not reporting? Because you always have that kind of traditional thing around kind of um, 
patients or service users who are male, maybe not coming forward to GPs, maybe not being as, as, as welcomed into the system or in fact having their health inquired about in the same way that women do. So when women are in that sort of fertile uh, period, you cannot you cannot escape your GP. They're constantly yeah. on your case, <laughs> like looking at you, poking you, want to look in you. It's it's quite a it's quite an interesting procedure. And then you get to a certain age, and they're like, yeah, you can die now because like you're old. It's fine. Yeah. So I wonder if if there's something to do with kind of health health behaviours that might have impacted that as well. Um, did you did you want to do you think Mohammed? There's anything around the self reporting in terms of the data mm. set? Uh, self-reporting it's it's not about self the, uh, the way the question is asked it is asked to uh, to people who previously if we uh, specifically talk about long covid so mm-hmm. the question is structured like this mm-hmm. so if somebody has experienced uh, covid symptoms before and now they have recovered they don't have any uh, covid symptoms and then in the next wave when the uh, question is asked so first if they don't have any covid symptoms or if, uh, in other words, if they don't uh, test positive for COVID, mm. then they will be asked this question about long COVID that whether uh, uh, you are experiencing still those kind of mm. uh, symptoms or not, whether you, uh, you are able to uh, uh, carry on your day-to-day activities or not. So this is not about, uh, at least uh, if we talk about the data set we are using, mm-hmm. this is not, uh, not about self-reporting. This is about uh, the way the question is asked. And the, question, and the way the question is asked is that mm-hmm. whether you, um, I think we started from this thing that sometimes people uh, uh, who experience long COVID, they don't, uh, they don't uh, experience that they are able to carry on day-to-day mm-hmm. activities mm-hmm. that they were able to do previously. So mm-hmm. It is, uh, the question is not that, do, do you have long COVID? The question is, are you now able to uh, mm. carry on your day-to-day activities as you were able to do it previously? Mm. So uh, uh, it uh, eliminates the uh, mm. uh, report, self-reporting bias. Yeah, that's really important, isn't it? How you ask yeah. the question is important as what you ask. Yeah. And I, I think that just kind of, obviously it's not part of the data set, but what you said about, um, the point you made earlier about reporting people who did self-report or going mm. to GP, there were there was um, obviously stigma around kind of reporting long COVID as well. So maybe that could that if if it was research in terms of self-reporting, mm. it might be that there is stigma, especially like you said for maybe mm. males that or or anyone that doesn't feel, usually go to the doc- doctors and want to talk about what what's going on or young mm. people as well who tend to be less likely to report um, health as health kind of health you know, their, their health behaviour might not be as regular at the doctors and, and going yeah. in. So I think I think if you were looking at self-reporting, then there is stigma that could have an impact on that. But like um, for this data set, it's not really self-reporting, it's answering those questions that then decipher whether or not mm. you, you, are, you, have, you are suffering from long COVID that we can mm. use. Mm. So basically, uh, like uh, uh, in our research or in data set, uh, we... Uh, from where we started, I think uh, Saika uh, started to explain it, that how we differentiate COVID and long COVID, that basically in long COVID, we are not able to carry on our day-to-day activities as mm-hmm. we were able to do it before. So from this definition, understanding society or this question, or if uh, uh, if you like, uh, our research, mm-hmm. uh, categorize them as people having long COVID who did not experience, uh, 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 who did not have any COVID symptoms when they mm-hmm. were interviewed, but they were not able to uh, uh, carry on their activities that mm-hmm. they were able to do previously. Mm-hmm. I'm getting a couple of questions through if you're, if you're up for it. Yeah. 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 
Um, so students, questions from students, year ones. Um, does this link to suicide at all? Which is interesting, I suppose, if you're looking at kind of trauma symptoms and low mood. Um, another one about, I, I'm interested in loneliness research. Um, how Because you mentioned loneliness, how does that link up? Um, another person saying, how do you get into research? So three <laughs> very different questions there. <laughs> Um, I will, in terms of the question around su suicide, mm. um, that's because um, it, 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 it is characterised as a trauma and, mm. and more and more research that we're doing mm. and we're finding out that the layers of trauma that and the, ha the mental havoc and the emotional kind of burden it's cause is causing people that mm. it's, it has, that there is kind of links to say that people that people do or might have suicide ideation which is thoughts of suicide mm -hmm. but our research hasn't looked at that and um, because the mental the ghq um server that we use doesn't yeah. measure like doesn't look at suicide particularly but there are questions about that that you can explore so i would say that that would be that can that can occur and i think mm -hmm. there is going to be a follow-on link for people mm -hmm. feeling having suicide ideation because of the trauma and because of the, the, de the gravity of that trauma that we're kind of finding out about yeah yeah what was the next question <laughs> <laughs> what about loneliness which is interesting i mean loneliness research is so interesting because it's about all kinds of things isn't it it's part of the physical yeah. isolation it's part of the emotional meaningfulness of your life as well as those physical connections and we know that it links to long-term conditions already and we know that it links to things like increased um experience of pain so we know that it has those links i wonder how does it link into long covid uh, Shaka, do you or do you I'll want let to you take this? Okay, yeah. <laughs> Generous <laughs> of you. <laughs> I love the way you guys work together. That's for you. <laughs> That's good. So, uh, uh, first, uh, I'll start from then uh, suicide then. <laughs> so, uh, I was thinking about why uh, understanding society, this is a really interesting question. That, uh, mm. This can lead, can this lead to a suicide? But then I thought a person must be dead. So, how can they ask the question? to a dead person. <laughs> I, so, see, I see your, your mind at work there. <laughs> okay. so, uh, and then, uh, uh, then about the, uh, this uh, loneliness. About loneliness, we, we actually conducted this research uh, in regards to uh, impact of lockdown mm -hmm. and impact of uh, 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 COVID, not long COVID, impact of COVID on, uh, on mental health. So we found that people who are experience, uh, who are experiencing loneliness, their mental health is uh, down as compared to people who are not experiencing loneliness. And mm -hmm. again, for loneliness, we have this question uh, in the data set that uh, uh, on a, uh, like how much lonely you feel uh, yourself on, uh, on daily basis. So mm -hmm. if a person is experiencing more lonely, then uh, we find that their mental health decrease even more after the lockdown because after the lockdown uh, 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 maybe if a person was alone and previously people were visiting him or her mm -hmm. and now because of the lockdown uh, there was nobody to visit uh, him or mm -hmm. her and then and probably that 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 was uh, another reason then uh, this policy of shielding and uh, uh, these kind of policies were introduced because of protecting uh, uh, those uh, individuals so in terms of uh, this uh, mm -hmm. long COVID, we did not uh, do research about loneliness 
we are just uh, thinking about doing loneliness and how it will affect the long uh, how long covid will affect mm. people experiencing uh, loneliness but we mm. did not uh, do it yet because of the sample size mm. because obviously if you compare covid sample it is only we collected sample after 2020 yeah. and then if we talk about long covid long covid sample will be even smaller because it uh, it needs to be collected after a couple of waves of uh, COVID, then we will have some uh, people who have experienced COVID and then they have recovered from COVID. At that point, we uh, like uh, the uh, data owners, they've started to interview uh, individuals and uh, start to ask these questions about long COVID. Mm -hmm. So because of the data availability, uh, we did not uh, conduct this research, what will be the impact of loneliness mm -hmm. on the long COVID. Uh, but it can be done later. Mm. But for the yes. for the COVID, good question. Mm. Yeah, uh, but mm. but for the COVID, we did this research and we found that. And uh, if we look at these uh, similar lines, that what are uh, what are the similarities between COVID and long COVID? Mm -hmm. We see that differential impacts on uh, all levels. So mm. probably we can expect intuitively that uh, we will ex uh, we will see that uh, people experiencing loneliness they will uh, be affected badly. Uh, uh, in the long COVID as well. So we do have an opportunity to do something now then. Yeah. yeah no, that's, than, the, right. that's the kind of, sorry, that's the kind of questions you were saying, the right questions to ask to then mm. look at kind of, because loneliness again is, is just from, from kind of the, the research, having, having an experience that not everyone can understand um, is, is, is going to make, you know, has been a big pause for why people have felt mm. um, felt worse about it because there's no mm. one else understands what they're going through mm. um so it's really important so loneliness i think would play a part to make people feel like yeah. i'm alone in this as well as mm. being lonely in general yeah and, and as well there's a lot of complicated stuff going on too isn't there with you know people losing maybe the social contact they had through jobs add in recession add in all sorts of other issues that may have disrupted people's sort of baselines of experience and it's not surprising if that, that's going to have an impact. Dave, I wonder, we're coming nearly to the end. So I wonder if there's anything that you want to come fast, very fast, if there's anything you wanted to ask particularly, Dave. Uh, there's a couple of things I've been wondering about, Nikki. <clears throat> and as normal, I'm, I'm a bit anxious to ask these because I'm sure they won't really make much sense when I say them. Cool. Uh, but, <laughs> it, you know, uh, the, the two things that I kind of had in my mind uh, was whether the research picked up on any issues or you, either of you had any thoughts on these? And the first one was the kind of, just thinking about my own experiences going through COVID, and I, I've had it twice that I know of. Uh, I think the first time I had it was before vaccination. Uh, and obviously the first worry you had at that point was, oh my God, I'm gonna die from it. Uh, and you know, that, that was very much that, that first kind of experience. But then the second one, it was very much kind of, oh my gosh, I'm gonna get, long covid from it and got really fearful of long covid hearing other people speak about it and i think like you say that that kind of idea about you didn't have to have experienced the worst covid to then get long covid and, and some people that were describing the worst long covid symptoms actually seem to get covid sort of quite reduced so i suppose that question about is long covid in itself creating problems with mental health even if you haven't got it because it's quite a worrying thing to have yeah, i mean i i could try and say because i think when 
it was not helped by some of the media coverage about long COVID. So when I'll say. <laughs> some of these headlines that were coming out around long COVID, you know, it's, it was it was uh, it was another fear uh, uh, instilling fear in people that you you were going to be able to not do you know the extreme end of the spectrum where you you're unable to do day-to-day activities um not being able to work so I think I think that does have an impact on people that's why I was saying the stigma as well like coming out and saying that I've got long COVID and also knowing that there's um this is another round of fear because now you, you know you're maybe not worried about you know fear of loss of life but actually mm-hmm. a loss of function loss of doing things so I do think that that could that could that could be having an impact in terms mm-hmm. of um people's kind of anxiety around getting long COVID if you get COVID will it be long COVID um because you can feel fine but then you're checking to see if, if it's mm-hmm. going to come back so it's, it's there's a lot that they, they they can it's like they can have an they can work both both directions but that, the the um long COVID kind of it, it was good for getting the word out there to it's a real thing but also the negative impact was it was quite a negative thing that kind of came out as well yeah absolutely and, and, and just a second one uh I, I, I think you know in terms of the the role that I've got in in a trade union uh that what we saw when COVID first happened was that people with long COVID were getting really really good support in the workplace uh especially in you know the NHS for example so uh, for people that were suffering from long COVID originally they had a completely different scheme for supporting people in terms of long-term sickness Uh, and that was a really good scheme Uh, as we've kind of got way past the initial uh, COVID pandemic uh, that support has completely evaporated and it's become very much more kind of a well you get the support that you would normally get with any uh, illness uh, so, you know, you get, for example, in the NHS, you get so many months on full pay, so many months on ha- half pay, and then you get no pay. Uh, and I suppose that kind of bit about, does that impact the longitudinal effects in terms of the mental health that, you know, as we're getting further away from the original pandemic, it's creating much more mental health problems because the support just isn't there anymore? Um, uh, should I, do you want me to take that? Uh, or... Yeah, you, you can. I can. Uh, I can follow on later. Yeah. Are you sure? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm going to be hugging. hugging me. Um. So I was. I'd say you're right. Like at the initial stages, there was a lot of support being rolled out. Not everywhere, but there was putting out in terms of support. But I think the more we know and the the research that we can do on long COVID. Um, we can maybe, you know, that's the kind of key to finding out how how much is impacting people, and then therefore giving them that support that isn't standard um, that you just get. But I think um, you're right that there, there's it's, it's probably, I mean, I mean it's it's lessened, but at the same time, I think at this stage now, some of those studies that were set up initially, the findings are just about starting to come out. Like like um, the more we we get that data. And it's going to start to come out. The more we'll understand how how severe it is, and then hopefully the support. That's the key for all of this: that people get the right support, and also that if there was another pandemic or there was another outbreak, we're prepared for it in terms of knowing that this it, what what might happen, at, and at the speed that we know now things can happen. Mm. Um, I think we just, I've just been reminded by a lovely student saying, "You never told us how to become researchers." <laughs> Oh, how to become researchers. <laughs> Do you want to go first? Um, uh, you go first. I'll follow then. 
So, um, well, there's so many different routes into research. So the first thing I'd say is wherever you are, there's no, there's no one clear pathway. There's so many different trajectories to get into research. Um, I personally think if you've got the passion, that's the most important thing. If you're passionate about um, doing research and, it's, and, and, and sometimes it's, it is your own experiences as well. So, so a lot of the research that's been done on long COVID have people experiencing it. I think passion, um, usually... Um, if 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 you can volunteer in a study that's a good sign a, a good place to do to to do it but i think usually it's um looking online for like research posts um doing some work experience um if you've got um any kind of research method skills that's a really good 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 base to have so if you've got quant like there's two schools quantitative qualitative right. if you've done some research um, methodology then you can usually um, use that as experience to try and um, work in a, in a research project and obviously having academic um, academic going into academia doing a degree and then uh, kind of progressing from there but there is so many different ways even if you're like a practitioner or someone who's worked in the industry and you want to go into research um, it's really just getting yourself seen out there and kind of inquiring mm. um, and ideal is to start off as like a research assistant or working as a researcher on a project that's mm. been funded and then you would um, get your experience or um, going through the academic route which is what I did which was to do a PhD and do get, have my research through my PhD and then mm. go into a, a job like uh, in research that's mm. kind of how I'd say it. Absolutely. Manager, sure. uh, what was the question? I, I, I was the question at how uh, um, we would give any advice for people who wanted to be researchers who want to be researchers. Yeah, so <laughs> I think I, I am in a mood of doing some dark comedy today. <laughs> <laughs> I feared as much. <laughs> I, I was here, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a really competitive field, it is really good funding. Psyche and I, we, we uh, on daily basis, we are discussing how our mental health is getting affected because of you this study research. for you there <laughs> yeah it, it, it's, it's a really tough it's a really tough people tough. to get into um but just to, i mean like I, I think passion don't not giving yeah up. yeah so that's that's, uh, uh, that's the real thing that uh Saika said that it's mm -hmm. about passion if you uh if you are passionate you'll find one way or the other you will find yourself in uh doing research you don't need us to give you suggestion, but the tip uh, that uh, Saika rightly pointed out is uh, passion. So if you have passion, the uh, you can go through uh, this PhD position. So once you are in PhD, then at least you'll uh, get the flavor of doing research, and then you can decide as well that whether mm -hmm. you want to continue in this field or mm -hmm. whether you want to change your uh, your line of uh, profession mm -hmm. or you, mm -hmm. whether you want to uh, go into industry or somewhere else. But uh, I would suggest that uh, go for PhD first, or maybe if you are undergrad student, uh, you will get some flavor in your dissertation. And then uh, it can tell you uh, whether you like this process or not. And then do masters. Uh, uh, it'll be yeah. a more rigorous uh, dissertation, and it will tell you whether uh, you are fit for this process or not. Mm -hmm. And then, if you really like it, then go for PhD. Yeah, and, and, and publish and... some papers, and uh, <laughs> uh, you'll know <laughs> what it it's, feels like to be a researcher. Yeah, it's hard, but I'd say if you are interested as well, interning. So if you're a student and there's yeah. a a professor or a lecturer who's got a project going intern volunteer for that to do some research mm. to get a really hands-on experience mm. and I for me I I looked at on, on like website like like they, they're always advertised like jobs.ac you know there's different mm. they obviously and you, you kind of put in your area and then any mm. jobs that come from research 
you you can start applying for them and you get an idea of what they want mm. and if there is a qualification that that you you know you can maybe try and train in there mm. to see if you can get that so but I, I would say um if you are someone who's not getting experience it's, ne- it's never too late I and I, I have seen people come in from so many different areas and and get into research so if you are someone who's mm. having a change of career direction I still think you can do it if you if you're passionate and there's a self-assessment test like I, w- I would recommend that if you think that you are really thick-skinned, uh, then you should go, you should yeah. come into this field because uh, research, uh, researcher and uh, doing research is really uh, critical in nature. Yeah. So you yeah. uh, you do literature review, you criticize other people, you publish, uh, you submit it to journal, yeah. they will criticize you, you didn't do this, this mm. research is rubbish and yeah. blah, blah, and everything. Mm. You revise it, you resubmit it, you get rejected, you revise, resubmit, and then you get rejected. So um, mm. then finally, after um, like uh, many years, when you get published, your paper is cited somewhere uh, for just br- brief moment that, okay, Sarkhan Vakas did this, and that is your brief moment of fame. And that's it. <laughs> and apart yeah. from that, <laughs> you only get criticism. <laughs> I think thick is so important because it's 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 a tough field and it's so competitive. Um, but I think yeah, definitely. I I I've had to. I mean, I've still still it's, daily. There's that mental health challenge. Like you mm. get, you know, it's hard to kind of compete against people, the rejections. But mm. if you're passionate and you keep going, you you can absolutely you can, you can absolutely. make it. Like the worst one I ever got for feedback. I just got one line: <laughs> learn to use a comma. It's like, <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> boom, I was like, okay. <laughs> so I mean, like, there's a lot of it about, isn't there, in terms of, 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 of feedback and support. Um, but you're absolutely right. There's loads of places to, to engage with research on all different levels. But it's, I think it's really important for anyone who's in practice or anyone who's, who's going to be encountering people with various degrees of mental distress around this issue, that they understand what the data is telling them as well. So it's really important not to be hands off with research or or think that it's not your business. It is your business. You should have some kind of functioning knowledge of how it works. And even if it's not, even if it's not something you want to do full time, you want to understand how to have good evidence based practice as far as you can. So. Yeah, and and just last night, you know, if you are even if you're not in an academic kind of setting, mm-hmm. but you are, um, for example, working with a council or mm-hmm. working with a charity organisation, mm-hmm. you're all doing research too. Usually, like if it's yeah. research opportunities there too that you can kind of find an entry pathway in. All, yeah. all those things I've seen um, people come into academia or in a research post because they've had that experience. So try try like different knock knock on different doors if you have to. That's what I'd say. Absolutely. And if you really like research, uh, I would suggest you, uh, uh, if it is an undergrad, uh, undergraduate student, uh, I would suggest to focus on uh, dissertation and their thesis, because mm-hmm. it will be really helpful for them for getting a PhD position in, in, a, in a really reputed uh, university and maybe on, on scholarship if mm-hmm. they perform really well in their dissertation. Yeah, because you can publish dissertations too if yeah. they're really good. So if you do an excellent job and go above and beyond in your, in your dissertation, and take an idea that really needs it's something new that's not been done before as well yeah. or even if it's not even if it's not completely novel but you're it's a worthy kind of research and it makes difference um do a really great job um go above and beyond and and speak to supervisors to say oh i want to publish this if it's and then and get that support yeah. and that puts you on the map um mm, that's a good idea we're coming nearly to the end now so we'll circle back around again um we have um retweeted the article originally that you attached from the conversation so if anyone has any questions about them data sets and things like that, that's a good place to go back to 
Um, obviously, people can contact you if they have specific questions. But I wonder if there's anything you want to sort of leave um, anyone watching with in terms of, it, of of like a last thought or maybe something we can do to be helpful or supportive. Um, but before I forget, I, uh, I, uh, I was thinking about it, uh, and uh, it, it is about the word that you said that uh, about being supportive. Mm. Uh, Saika, can you please share those links where people experiencing long COVID and COVID, they can get help yeah. and uh, support That's so that they, yeah. they can be really helpful? Yeah, so I can share some links if you want to put them in the notes or something afterwards. So the one thing I would say is, obviously, if you are someone or you know someone, because that's another thing, if you're, you, you could be a carer of someone who's experiencing long COVID. Yeah. If there, there's, I think it's being being connected to other people, um, getting help early. There is, there is, for example, um, there's so many different tools out there, like breathing exercises. Um, um, there's CBT, for example, that's offered. There's a lot yeah. of different kind of tools that you could you could have and use mm. to help you and 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 the idea is to try and get up that ladder um of getting better and 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 it's going to go up and down and not everything will work for you but there's a lot of work that's been done there's some amazing work that's been done out there in terms of um mm. how to support people um mm. with long COVID so I think um early if you're feeling those symptoms um mm. speak, speak to your health professional speak mm. to someone just to make sure that you're not letting it carry on for a lot and suffering mm. and in silence mm. and there'll be support out there and then then going through the kind of working out what works for you and drawing boundaries, I think is really important. So if you are someone with long COVID yeah. and saying, you know, you might not be able to go to work or you might not be able to do a social activity because you're experiencing it and knowing that that you are actually suffering something that's very real mm. and recognizing that for yourself. Mm. Um, I would say journaling is really a good, really, really yeah. positive thing to do and get and acknowledging that what you're experiencing can really help you be present in the moment and um, alleviate some of that symptom at that time so there's a lot and I, I like I said the links I share um, there's a there's lots of apps as well so hopefully find what works for you um, and everyone's different so we, some things might not work like I can't do yoga <laughs> because it's just didn't, I've tried it doesn't work for me but I like probably CBT styles and thinking so there's whatever works for each individual um, is what you need to figure out. Thank you. Mamma is there anything that you wanted to, to add before we finish up? I know I would like to thank you, uh, uh, Nikki and Dave and Saika. Uh, this, this was a really lovely discussion today. Absolutely. I really enjoyed it. And thank you very much for inviting us. Yeah. Thank you. Dave, yeah. is there anything you want to finish up with? It's been great to listen to the conversation, hasn't it? especially, you know, the passion, maybe not so much for uh, sort of like encouraging people to be researchers, you know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's come across really nicely. Uh, and, and it's always really good in it to kind of, link practice research but also the reality for people and to put it into that kind of package and i, I think you've done that really really nicely today uh, all joking aside so uh, yeah great job guys yeah and um, I, again sorry uh, about uh, my jokes about not doing research <laughs> don't, don't take, take it don't seriously <laughs> <laughs> um, i think i balanced it with all the kind of positive <laughs> you are an incredible double act <laughs> it's true. yeah the, 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 the yin and the yang was just perfect <laughs> so, it's just to say to, to people now as we're finishing up thank you very much for joining us tonight it's um, been a real pleasure to have you with us thank you for your questions and we've got all kinds of things coming up in in the future it's a bit apocalyptic i know we've got um uh, some stuff around eco-anxiety and climate change coming up as well so we are living in a time of, of where it's 
wise to be um, aware of, of, of the experience of anxiety just generally in society um, and also stuff around kind of people's personal experiences of autism and being a professional with autism as well, which would be really interesting. So that's what we're sort of com coming up in the next couple of weeks. And it just remains to say good night, guys. Good night, all. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye.